I just don't know where the time goes. There, there just aren't enough hours in the day to get everything done that I need to get done. I mean, I'm just too busy. You ever thought any of those things? You ever said any of those things? Maybe several times today you've said some of those things. Of course you have. We've all said those things because we've convinced ourselves that there is just too much that needs to be done and we don't have enough hours in the day to get those things done that are weighing on us to accomplish. You've been there. I've been there. We've all been there. You may very much feel yourself there right now. And when we find ourselves sort of in that place, it leaves us with this unsettled sort of feeling with, well, what are we going to do with that? The fact is that, that those things are true. That we don't have enough time in the day to get done all of the things that we could otherwise get done or that we might desire to get done. That's very much true, which leaves us in a place where we need to make choices among the possibilities of the things that we could do. And it turns out that the decisions that we make in that regard actually have rather significant consequences that are attached to them. There is something that has been defined as time anxiety. And many of us have time anxiety. Time anxiety is where we stress over whether or not we are using the time that we have available the best that we could or if there's something that we could do better. You ever feel some of that sort of time anxiety? I'm guessing that you probably do. I think that we all do. And that might leave you in a place where you're always in a hurry. You're always trying to get something else done, something more done. You're always on the go. You're always pressing forward. You might even be at the place where you feel guilty if you sit down and if you relax because something's nagging at you to keep going and to do the next thing and then the thing after that. Time anxiety goes beyond that, though, also, in that it can also sting us at the, at the level of feeling that time has somehow passed us by, that opportunity has passed us by, and that really we feel that we should be at some places beyond where we are given the amount of time that has elapsed, and we get anxious about the fact that we haven't done it all, and how are we going to reclaim that time, or how are we going to get those things done that somehow have gone past me? You've been there? right? You've experienced this together along with me. Maybe it's that you have a sense that you should be at a place different in your career than where you are, that your job should be different given the amount of time that has elapsed in your life. Maybe it's that you should have a marriage that is better than it is, or maybe that you should be married in the first place, or maybe that you should have kids by now, or some other circumstance. You fill in the blank, whatever it might happen to be for you. When we come face to face with those sorts of realities, we tend to respond in one of two ways. One is that we might blame something exterior to us for the circumstance we find ourselves in. If only my boss didn't require so much overtime from me, I would have the time margin so that I could accomplish these other things that would be important to do in my life. And of course, the flip side of that is that for some of us, we actually turn it inward and we blame ourselves. If, if I were only better at time management, if I only handled things better, I would be able to be further ahead than what I am. We put it on ourselves and blame ourselves. If only I didn't spend so much time doom scrolling on my phone. 
If I didn't spend so much time watching YouTube cat videos, then I might have actually gotten the promotion, right? There are all sorts of things that we do in our life where we look back and it's like, well, that wasn't a very good use of time, and this wasn't a very good use of time. But regardless of how we got there, the realization that we're not where we want to be can leave us feeling in a place somewhere between dissatisfied and despondent. Some, that's a pretty broad you know, pretty broad range. But depending on the level of time anxiety that you're feeling and how you've managed your way through that, you're probably somewhere on that spectrum when you stop to think about it. And when we get to those places, what we need is a new perspective. What we need is a fresh start. We are in the midst of this sermon series. This is the fourth week of it. It's only five weeks in it, so next week is the last. You're not going to want to miss that one. And then we're going to jump into a brief series through the book of Daniel. You're not going to want to miss that. So a lot of good stuff coming, and uh, anticipate that. Be, be coming back, and we're going to dig into that. We've looked at having a fresh start when it comes to relationships. We've looked at it as it relates to parenting, when it re- as it relates to prayer, getting a fresh start in prayer. We all need that. And today we're going to be talking about time. The time of your life is what actually we're calling this here today. Thinking about how we take and manage and use time. We're going to be thinking about that. Welcome to all of you. Good to be with you. And uh, welcome to those who are checking this out uh, online, maybe through the classic venue or the moon campus. Very important stuff that we're going to be digging into here. When it comes to measuring how you're doing in your life, one of our standard measurements is time. It's how we, you know, measure how old we are. It's how we measure how much school we have taken. It's how we measure how long we've been in our job. It's how we measure time is how we measure the distance between Steelers' victories. And so far, it's been over a month, and things aren't looking really good going forward either, right? We use time to measure all sorts of things in our lives. And our society tells us that there are certain standards, and that by this time in your life, whatever that time is, you should be at this place, or you should be at that place, or you should have accomplished this or that. And if you're not where society would tell us we ought to be, there's this natural tendency that we have, this time anxiety that comes over us that suggests to us that somehow our life is lacking some value. It is lacking some meaning. It's lacking some legacy. We need to turn that around. But instead of some external measurement that would define whether or not we've been successful or our life is meaningful, we're going to take a look at a different set of standards. We're going to take a look at a little bit different measurement than that which the world gives to us. Regardless of where you are or what your life has been or how many opportunities you've missed, the truth of the matter is you can experience a fresh start when it comes to the use of your time. And I don't mean just a fresh start towards some second-class opportunity or some second-class blessing because you've already missed out on what's gone by. No, where you can step into an experience of thriving right where God would have you to be today and for moving forward. Not something that's been sacrificed, but all about what God has in store for you today and going forward. Forward. Paul points us in this direction when he tells us this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, how you live, how you apply yourself day to day, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. Now in order to get to the place where we're ready to sort of 
tie or, or toe that fresh start line, there's some things that we actually need to pull away from, some things that we need to kind of take off the table, or some, some things that would stand in the way of his, of his experiencing this fresh start that God offers to us. And so I want to talk first of all about what are some of those things that otherwise would stand in the way. And the first key essential, the first of those essentials is don't dwell on the past. All right? Don't dwell on the past. I hope you have your journal with you that you can jot these things down. The whole the outline isn't actually spelled out for you there in the, in the pathway notes today, but I'll give it all to you just uh, right here. And so this is the first of those things you can jot down. Don't dwell on the past. Now, there are a lot of things that are pleasant about thinking back on the past. There's no doubt about that. You can remember special people who have been a part of your life that maybe aren't anymore because maybe they moved away or maybe they passed away. Or it's a lot of fun to look back at, at pictures of grandparents or of a special vacation that you took. That's fun to do, although it seems that my kids are always finding some pictures they look back that's always unflattering of me. And then they're threatening to post it online so that all of the rest of you can see it as well. And then I threaten to take them out of the will and they don't hit send. And so it works out okay. We've got this balance, this thing going back and forth. But anyway, reflecting on the past can be fun. It can be a happy experience. It can also be instructive because as we look back on the past, my guess is if you are like me, that there are some things in your past you would say, I never want to experience that again, right? You with me on that? I used to own a leisure suit. Enough said. Now, if you, if you just have a, a look on your face like uh, you have no clue what I'm talking about, it's because you're young. But the old people in the room just reacted because they know what a leisure suit is, all right? Enough said about that. Um, that's something I don't ever want to repeat in my life. I once had a sunburn that was so bad that the blisters lifted more than an inch off of the skin. It was that bad, yeah. I once sat down and ate an entire box of Twinkies, all 12 of them in one sitting, which was more painful than the sunburn just so you know, but not more painful than the pictures of the leisure suit, all right, just so we get kind of that all in perspective. Looking back can be a great teacher, and it can give us great wisdom about things that we learned along the way through the school of hard knocks or the school of experience that we never want to experience again. It can be a teacher, but there are also some traps in focusing on the past that I want to dig into for a couple of minutes because I think that this is important because they will keep us from experiencing this fresh start that we're talking about, that we can have, that we would all desire to have. So let me give you a couple of those potential traps. One of those is to watch out for nostalgia. You know what nostalgia is? It's just sort of the sentimentality about things that have gone by or that have elapsed in the past. And it's usually brought on by feelings that things were better then. You ever think that as you look back? Things were better then. People were nicer then. Morality was higher then. Society was healthier back in those days, whatever those days are. You might look back longingly on when your health was better or back on a time when your relationship with your kids was less complicated or when you weren't having to face some of the issues that you're going to have to leave and go and pick up and, and deal with as you move forward this week and next week and, and so on. It might cause you to 
Remember, sentimentality might cause you to remember back to a day when the pirates were good. Though you need a really good memory if you're going to pull that one off. All right, it's natural to have feelings of nostalgia, but sometimes it can develop into an attitude that keeps us looking back in such a way that keeps us from engaging in the midst of where we are today, fully in the moment and completely in the moment. It happens all the time, and that can have negative consequences. Solomon spoke to something similar to this in these words. He said, say not... Why were the former days better than these days? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. It says, don't just look back and say, oh, to have those days again. It says, it's not from wisdom that you are reflecting back in that way. What Solomon is addressing here is the resentful attitude that nostalgia can foster. See, it's easy to remember uh, as, uh, the, ourselves as, as happier or more satisfied in those days, those times that have gone by. But here's the thing. We tend to look back on experiences that we have had with sort of a rose-colored glasses. We remember things kind of differently than they actually went down because we have this tendency to kind of shave off the hard edges and, and kind of rework in our minds the painful experiences that we have so that it comes out looking a little bit more rosy than it probably actually went down in the first place. And we end up with this falsely in, inflated experience that becomes a standard by which we judge present experiences. But it's not fair to do so because we've changed that experience to kind of beautify it so that now there's no way that the present can compare with the past. And it always ends up leaving us dissatisfied or thinking the past must have been so much better when typically it wasn't. Think about the Israelites in the wilderness. Think about this. They had escaped from Egypt. They had escaped the slavery that they were experiencing, the oppression, the persecution, the death. They had experienced God's marvelous blessing, miraculous blessing in helping them escape from the land. And now they're free from their captors and they're out and they're even experiencing God feeding them. But they don't like what God is feeding them. They get tired of the manna. And so they complain in these words. They say, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. They cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And they, and they come to the conclusion, it was better for us in Egypt. No, it wasn't. It was worse for them in Egypt. They're falsely remembering it because they are simply caught in the midst of something in the moment that they don't like. And so through this sort of nostalgia, they're saying it was so much better then. It was so much worse for them then. But we can do the same thing, and when we do, we end up enslaving ourselves again to an attitude or to a spirit instead of freeing us into what the moment could be. We need a fresh start to be free from that sort of nostalgia that would capture us. So when it comes to not dwelling in the past, we need to watch out for nostalgia, and also we need to watch out for regret. We need to watch out for regret. We all have things that we regret. And actually, that can be a good thing. It can be a good sign because it says, I recognize that there was something that wasn't very helpful about that. It was harmful. It was something that should be done away. So I feel regret about that. And if it leads me to a place where I actually change my attitude, I change my behavior, I repent of what I have done, regret can be a very positive thing and beneficial going forward. But we don't always handle it that way. It's also possible that we would get stuck in the regret that we 
have. Instead of regret leading to repentance, it leads to despair. It convinces us that we have lost the opportunity to thrive going forward. It's like, well, God wouldn't ever have any interest in using me, or I've disqualified myself permanently in some way so that I might not even think about having any kind of fresh start because God has no interest. And we consider ourselves, because of the depth of the regret and the things that we have done, to be now put on the sidelines. But that's not what God's interest is in for us, but sometimes we put ourselves in that place. Think about Judas, Jesus' disciple. Judas was one who obviously did some things that were horrible. He betrayed Jesus, and we know that he experienced tremendous remorse and tremendous regret for what he did. And as he looked on the circumstance he was in and as he looked on his life going forward, he came to the conclusion that there is absolutely nothing that I can do. There is no benefit. There is nothing that can be turned around for me. The only reasonable thing for me to do is to take my own life, which is what he did. His regret led him to that place. He was so caught in the regret He was stuck right there. Compare that to Peter, who essentially did the same thing. He also denied Jesus. He also betrayed Jesus three times, denying his existence. And he also ends up in tremendous regret. But it was different for him because he sought out forgiveness and he experienced it, and he goes on to have a life that is in the center of what God's will is for him. Even despite the fact that there is this loss of time, this loss of opportunity for him, he knows that there is still so much more for me. And he leaned that direction. Same experience, Judas and Peter, different outcomes. It's the way that they handled and they treated the regret that they found themselves in. We all have to deal with regret. I regret mistakes I've made, time that I've wasted, opportunities that I've squandered. And there are many of them. And maybe you do too. Satan, his first desire would be that we'd never feel the regret in the first place. That we would just sort of press our way forward. We'd just sort of go on. We'd deny the fact that there's stuff going on that I should be regretting because I'm enjoying too much living in the midst of my sin. He'd love to keep us there. But he's fine with us walking into the place of regret as long as we get stuck in the regret. And he'll tell you every lie imaginable that God has no purpose for you, that it's too late, that there can be no fresh start, but that is not what God says to us. As Paul says, don't linger just in the past. He says, go forward. Here's what Paul says. If we can get to it, there we go. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting that, leaving it there, because God has something new for me in the future. And this is a place where many of you are caught right now. In this place of regret, it's like, well, I'm not even sure that God would choose to use me, even if I would make myself available, and so there's no point. And so you're sitting on the sidelines, not thinking that there's really something significant, like Peter, that you could step up and do. The whole point of the gospel is being made new. It's second chances. It's starting over. It's a fresh start, and it's available for every one of us. The past is the past, and you can't change it, but you can allow it to change you. Whatever it is that would haunt you, confess it, learn from it, lay it down, seek God's forgiveness, and move on. See, sometimes, 
and maybe this is where you are, sometimes we actually embrace and we kind of, we kind of like the fact that there is a pain that comes along with the regret that we feel. And we kind of feel like we deserve that because we've done some things that, that we should be regretting. And it almost feels good to feel the pain because we know that we have done something wrong. And it almost feels like we're paying for some of what we have done by experiencing the pain of all of that. But here's the thing. Jesus has already taken the pain of that. He's already taken that off of you and onto himself. That's what the cross is all about. And so if you're picking it up and you're carrying it, you're denying the reality and the power of the cross. And you're diminishing the work of Jesus. To say that I'd rather live in that regret. Jesus died so there need not be any regret any longer. So that it can be confessed and so that you can move on and experience and pursue this fresh start using your time in healthy ways in the moment. That's one thing. Another key to finding a fresh start in the time of your life is this. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the future. We've said don't dwell on the past. That's true. But don't worry about the future. As we talked about a moment ago, time anxiety is a real thing that impacts our ability to engage positively in the moment that we are in. It keeps us from being able to be present in the moment. Maybe you worry about the future economy and the investments that you've made and all of the hits that that's taken over these last several months. Maybe you're really stressed over those things. Maybe you worry about keeping your job. Maybe you worry about your kids. Maybe you worry about your health or the health of somebody who is close to you, somebody in your family. Maybe you worry about the next election. There is absolutely no end to things that we can worry about. And some of us are just plain worriers. So we worry despite the fact that I can't think of anything else that we give more time to that produces fewer results than worrying about the future. I can't think of anything. Anxiety. Anxiety, think about it this way, does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It only takes away today's peace. Anxiety doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles. It only takes away today's peace. So Jesus gives us some advice. Here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about tomorrow, about what's coming, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. I read just that one verse, and you know what I think? I think that's not helpful at all. Think about it. Look at it. All he says to you is, don't be anxious. That'd kind of be like telling a starving person, just, just don't feel hunger. It's like, that makes no sense. But thankfully, this isn't just some hollow advice because Jesus goes on. And here's what he says as he does. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they Jesus isn't just telling anxious people to suck it up. He's telling them to trust their Heavenly Father to provide. See, when we spend time worrying about the future, we're doing the same thing as denying our faith. Yeah, it's that significant. When we worry about the future, we deny our faith. We're saying that we don't believe that God will be faithful to His promise to provide, so we need to take matters into our own hands. 
And the irony of all of that is that the more we take matters into our own hands, the more it stunts the growth of our own faith and the less likely we are to see those future needs met because we've picked up the ball of taking care of those future needs and we're insufficient to providing for them. And what that causes is that we just have less faith in God because he didn't bail us out when we're the ones who took it off his plate and put it on ours. And so it just is this cycle of diminishing faith. The only way for that to build is for us to say, all right, I'm going to actually trust the promises that you've given, that you will take care of my future, that I can lean into you, that I can trust you and see that it will get done. And as we do so, we can then see God provide, which is going to build our faith more and more and more. A fresh start when it comes to the time of your life means don't dwell on the past. Don't worry about the future. And thirdly, do focus in the moment. Do focus in the moment. There is no more effective use of our time than applying it to what can be done now. The people we're in relationship with, friends, the people you're in relationship with need you engaged now in the midst of where you are in your life together. And here's the irony, another irony. The better engaged we are in the moment, the better setting the better we are setting up our future. See, sometimes we think, we, we disconnect, we say, you know what, yeah, I'm not going to be home for a while, kids, but what I'm doing is I'm busy going off to my fourth job so that I can set up your future. And in the meantime, what we're doing is that we're failing in the moment where as we lean into the moment... There's nothing better than that that is going to ultimately set up the future. So don't just go off and spend all your time trying to plan some perfect future vacation for down the road. Get on the floor with the kids. Play with them. Engage them. Teach them. Train them. Discipline them. Be present. Be present. Focus in the moment. Of course, there are a couple of threats to taking that time to engage that need to be overcome as well. And let me just share these with you. The first of those is to overcome laziness. To overcome laziness. We tend to think that a lazy person is the one who's always neglecting their responsibility, procrastinating, missing deadlines, wasting time, making excuses. And, and yes, that is one form that you can see it in, and you can probably think of somebody in your life that you would describe as just that sort of person. They tend to be the easy ones to spot. Solomon talks about them also in Proverbs. He writes, I passed by the field of a sluggard, a lazy person, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. He says, I learned from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Laziness, he's saying. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I'm sure that you know somebody who falls into that category. They're just not engaging. They're not doing the things that they should. They're just way too lazy and things are not going well for them. We expect that. But not all lazy people necessarily look lazy. Quite to the contrary, they can look very busy because they're always doing something. It's just that they haven't applied wisdom to the choices that they're making about the things that are occupying all their time. 
And so they're very busy. They're just busy doing the wrong things. They're busy leading themselves toward laziness. And in many cases, they have fooled themselves into thinking that they're the victim of too little time when really what they are is the victim of too little wisdom. In fact, they're not even a victim because the wisdom is available. It's, they're just, it's that they're choosing to pursue things that aren't of value. They aren't things that are in keeping with what God's call might be in their life. They're just pursuing things. And it's spiritual laziness. (coughs) We need to overcome laziness. There's another thing as well, and that is, to focus in the moment, we also need to overcome busyness. And now I'm going to step on some toes, right? Including my own. This is related to what we were just saying, but there's a different motivation involved. The busy person genuinely wants to do the right things. And they just know that I can't get it all done. I'm trying, I'm scurrying, I'm moving as fast as I possibly can, but I'm still not getting it all done. So they just continue to try to pack more and more into the day. And they continue to complain about the fact that there's just too many things to do. And you oftentimes hear them say that they're very busy, and they are, and they're probably overcommitted, and they're exhausted. They're probably shortchanging themselves on sleep. Is this sounding familiar to anybody? They're probably shortchanging somebody else in their time and involvement. They're probably shortchanging other responsibilities they have with neglect and feeling some sense of, that's okay because I'm just too busy. I can't do it all. So if some stuff just falls through the cracks, then so be it. That's just the way that my life is going to be. If that describes you, you probably feel trapped there. So you've kind of resigned yourself to this is just the way that life is going to be. And I'm just going to have to suck it up and move on in this way. And there's just too much important stuff to get done. And I get that. I experience that. But we're wrong. We're wrong if we're stuck there. There wasn't anyone who was doing more critical work than his time here on earth than Jesus, and he only had three years of ministry to get it all done. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's teaching and training the disciples. He's communicating the love of the Father to the world. And then he goes off by himself, and he rests. And he tells the disciples who he sent out to do the same work, and they're having amazing impact. It's like, let's capitalize. Let's, let's move forward and get things done while there's, a, while there's a movement going on. And he tells them, come with me. We need to rest. And we know that the Scriptures talk about the importance of a weekly Sabbath that we would experience. it, And we know that, and we understand that, and we believe that that's right and we don't do it. Maybe because you feel guilty when you do. And you feel somehow like life is more meaningful or like you're doing a better job when you're doing more. You might feel guilty because there's always something else on the to-do list. Well, here's news for you. There always will be. You're never going to have everything crossed off. You won't. And some of us feel guilty because 
We've bought into the world's lie that a busy life is an important life. As long as I'm busy, that I sort of have this boost in my self-esteem. I don't like it. I complain about it. But I keep doing it. And we're happy to complain because it's a way to say that my life has meaning. But if Jesus priorities are to be believed and emulated, to say that I'm too busy is to say that my life is out of control, and it's to say that I'm a failure at bringing it to the place that it ought to be. That's what it means. Connecting pride to busyness is foolishness. Yet we do it, and I do it too. I'm speaking this to me as much as I'm speaking it to you. The world applauds people who are busy and always in demand, but do you know what gets my attention? What gets my attention is the person who is following hard after Jesus, and they have their life and their family ordered. And what you never see them doing is scurrying around at some frenetic pace trying to get the loose ends tied back together. That's not who they are. You probably know somebody like that. And don't you admire what they're doing? Now, is that just because they've stepped back and they've said, well, I'm just not going to get as much done as what you're going to get done? No. (laughs) That's not at all what is going on. It's that they've ordered their world and it's on a trajectory to fulfill their priorities. And here's the interesting thing. When a person living in that sort of purpose and contentment When you find somebody there, they don't stress about the passage of time. They don't stress about it because they know that they're on the right path. And so time that passes is only them being that much closer to realizing the fullness of what God has in store for them. So, are you where you you want to be? Is there some direction that you would say I probably need to go coming out of this? If not, what needs to change? What's the solution to the time anxiety that you're feeling? Some people would say, well, it's clear. What I need to do is I, learned to, I need to learn better time management. And the fact is that's dead wrong. I know it's not what all the gurus are going to tell you. You just need better time management. But if you're not on the path that you need to be on, then better time management only gives you the ability to crowd more things in that provide sideways energy to where you need to go. It's actually your enemy in one strange sense. So what do you do? What do you do for a fresh start? Well, I'd suggest you it can be as simple is looking to the end of a passage we've already been looking at. There in Matthew chapter 6, that's where Jesus says that I want you to not be anxious. I want you to look to what the Father can do for you, to look at what the Father has done. He provides for the sparrows. Certainly, He cares for you. And right at the end of that passage, when he's talking about how do I come to experience the fullness of what it means to lean into experiencing the fullness from the Father, how do I do that? 
right at the end of the passage, he closes us out by giving us these words. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All of us can use a fresh start when it comes to the way that we use our time. But it's not going to be found in dwelling in the past or worrying about the future. It's going to happen by engaging in the now, by seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, by aligning ourselves with what the purpose of God would be. And as we do so, regardless of how much time has passed, regardless of how much you think that you have missed out on because you've made poor decisions and you acknowledge that, regardless of what's happened, as we seek first his kingdom, we align ourselves with where he would have us to be in the moment and we can experience that fresh start. And what does it say? It says that all these things will be added to you. Those things from the past which you kind of wish were still a part of where you are. Those things that you long for in the future. All of that as you focus on seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. He said those things will be added to you. And when that happens... You'll be living the time of your life. I understand. I understand there are a million things that are going on around you. And that we keep trying to plug something else in to try to finally find that place where we're going to feel centered. And we're plugging in all the wrong things. And we just get busier and busier and miss the point more and more. It's probably not for most of us that we need to find more things to add in. It's we need to add in the right thing, the one thing, to seek first, above all those other things, to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Heavenly Father, time is hard. It's hard to manage. It's hard to navigate. There have been so many circumstances where we've made decisions that have, have left us in a place where time has kind of gone by and we wonder if it's just passed us by and it's too late and we're feeling guilt or we're feeling remorse about the fact that we're not where the society has told us we should be by the time that we reach the age that we are. Or maybe we've had some circumstance that has, we thought we were on the right track, we thought our trajectory was going great, but then something happened. And all of a sudden, it feels like we got deposited back at the start line. Well, that's okay, because you desire to give us a fresh start. Your word tells us that you work all things together for good. Whatever those circumstances have been, however much water has gone under the bridge or over the dam or however we want to think about it, that there is the fullness of opportunity to move forward from this moment in a way 
that is a fresh start in how we use our time and how we apply the moments, the minutes, the hours, the days that you've given to us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to redeem the time to take and apply ourselves fully and completely to the things that you would have us to do. And for some of us, that means that we need to unpack some stuff that we have filled our lives up with. And that we need to first and foremost seek your kingdom and your righteousness and watch how all things fall in place. Let I pray that you'd give us the courage to do so the conviction that we recognize we need to do it and the grace to carry it forward. Lord, thank you that you have laid that out, that you offer us this fresh start. I pray that we would take it for our blessing to fulfill your purpose for us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.